Well, good morning, North Langley Community Church, Aldergrove Campus. Well, it's a little full today. Did anyone notice? Hopefully you have all found a seat. If not, now that the kids are gone, there's a little bit more space. Uh, welcome here. I just want to say, uh, introduce myself. My name is Kevin. I am the campus pastor for our Aldergrove campus here. And I'm really excited that you're here today. Whether you're, uh, you've been here from the very beginning or it's your first time here, uh, we're all on a journey together of what it means to follow Jesus, to be apprentices of his. And we're experiencing what it means to know and experience his love and his closeness more and more. And that's why we're doing church together. So anyway, I'm really excited that you're here. And you've come on a fun Sunday because today we're talking about money. Who doesn't love talking about money, right? Yes, that's, uh, there's some mixed reviews there. Um, okay, so what, what we've been doing is, is we've been going through and uh, today is the last Sunday in a four-week series called Jesus and Money, Following Jesus in a Life of Freedom, Generosity, and Joy. And today we're going to talk about giving your money away. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, that's right. I wasn't, I wasn't sure how that would go, but uh, today we're going to be talking about what it means to be generous. Um, and, and I really do hope that through this series that you're experiencing more freedom, more generosity, and more joy when it comes to your finances. I want you to know our goal in doing this series at North Langley is not so that we have a massive increase in giving and donations. Uh, we are not doing this because we're in the red or have a big deficit and we're like, hey, we need to, to meet this financial goal. We're not doing this because we want to build a giant new facility. We're not doing this because we want to buy a helicopter to get the pastors from campus to campus on a Sunday morning. We're not doing it for any of those reasons. We're doing it because we hope that we all experience more freedom, generosity, and joy. So for four weeks, that's what we've been talking about. Uh, and, and like John said, tonight we are inviting um, uh, Ron, who's going to be coming to talk about kingdom finances. So this is happening tonight at our Walnut Grove campus. I'm going to be there. I would love to see you there as well. It's at 6.30, and it will go till around 8. And I just want you to know that our Walnut Grove campus recently started a 5 o'clock service. And so that goes until almost 6.30. Some of you know Matthew Price. He's preaching today. So if you get there and the service is still going on, it's just because Matthew's preaching long, and it will end around 6.30, and then our Kingdom Finances workshop will start. And Ron's going to be talking about six different principles for uh, apprentices of Jesus and how we steward our finances. So I hope you come. Uh, it should be fantastic. As well as a follow-up to this, North Langley, starting in April, is going to be doing a six-week course called Money Life, and it's going to be about a kind of a personal finance study uh, that, like I said, will be beginning in April, and there's information about that online. So, how we spend our money is one of the things that Jesus talked about the most. He talked a lot about the kingdom of God, and after that, it was basically how we spend our money. Because Jesus knew that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not where your heart is, there your treasure will be. That's kind of how I've always read it. Like if I love something, that's where I'll put my money. But it actually reads, if we put our money somewhere, our heart will follow that. Where we spend our money, that will become the focus of our heart. And as apprentices of Jesus, we want our hearts postured towards him. So I hope that, like me, you have been experiencing more freedom, joy, and generosity through this series, through conversations that you're having with your life groups, with your family, and with your friends. I've actually been really enjoying it, and uh, I, I was like, oh man, I have to preach one of these. I've just really enjoyed sitting and listening and participating as part of the congregation of these. 
Uh, but I'm really excited to be able to share today and be able to kind of conclude our series and to talk about generosity and the joy that comes through that. We've been going through Luke for quite a long time here, and we've hit this section of Luke where there's four sections or four passages that are all about money that are really close to each other. We're doing them a little bit out of order, but we've intentionally put them all together uh, in back-to-back so that we could do this series. Now, one of the things I love to do when we're in a topical series like this is review. Okay, so if you have been here for all four weeks, this is going to be review for you. But if you are new or you haven't, you missed a week, I'm just going to kind of summarize the journey that we've been on so far. So week one was when Ron Davis was here and he was talking about stewardship. And he spoke about the parable of the servants and the minas. And he reminded us that a really important part of finding freedom, generosity, and joy with our finances is remembering that God is the owner of everything and that we are simply stewards called to care for what he's entrusted to us. A steward spends the owner's money on what the owner asks him to spend his money on. He doesn't worry if he's going to have enough money or even if he'll be paid. He's just entrusted to do the will of the owner. And Ron said that if God calls us to give money away, that we should actually have fun with that. And that should be something that causes joy and excitement in us because we're giving away someone else's money. Have you ever had a chance to give away someone else's money? It's the best. We want to do more of that. But it is a mental shift, and it's crucial for viewing our finances as belonging to God. So God's priorities shape how we steward and spend our finances, how we spend his finances. This should relieve some of the burden and stress that, that comes with this when we look at it through the lens of it all belonging to Jesus, and so we spend it how he sees fit. So that was week one. Then two weeks ago, Matthew reminded us that we are actually all very wealthy. Matthew Price was here. It was a long sermon. Um, And and he talked about how we actually have access to health care, to education, to clean water. And that our struggle is often not that we are, are poor, but that we try and live just a little bit above our means. And if only we were to live within our means, that we would have the freedom to be generous with our finances, but that quite often when when we get a pay increase, maybe it's a raise or a cost of living increase, instead of looking at it as saying, okay, what do I do with with this new excess to, to accomplish God's will, we actually just try and spend more to increase our quality of living, and that we're always pushing up against our boundaries with our quality of living. And that, that like the rich young ruler, we've actually been entrusted with a lot. And Jesus asks us to literally open up our hands and trust him with our wealth, with our contentment, with our security. Not our wealth as our means of security for ourselves. And this is very countercultural to not make gaining just a little bit more, just a little bit more to solve my financial problems, just a little bit more and then I'll be generous, just a little bit more and then I'll be okay. It's very countercultural because we often have the solution as being just a little bit more. But if your financial habits have gotten you into a tough spot, chances are earning a little bit more won't solve your problems because you'll just spend more. When we gain more, usually we spend more. So Matthew said the solution was to surrender our will to the master, the owner of our wealth, and seek his will in how we spend and how we save and how we give. And that this was a massive stumbling block for the rich young ruler, but the cause of great joy for Zacchaeus, who when he encountered Jesus started giving away his money like Ebenezer Scrooge on Christmas morning, just paying back everything that he had wronged and giving away his wealth. 
And then last week, John talked about how worship is involved in our finances and that we give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and we give to God what belongs to God. And with that, we're reminded that, that the Jews who Jesus was talking to at this time, they really didn't like their government. It was the occupying nation of Rome. And Jesus said, still give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Still pay your taxes. So that even if we disagree with the government that's in power, we are still called as followers of Jesus to pay our taxes and to be faithful. But that also we need to give to God what is God's. And that we have actually all been marked with the image of God. That we have the image of God stamped on us. That we have what is called the Imago Dei, which is like the image of God imprinted on us. And so we need to give God our whole selves, including our finances. Worshiping God with our lives is about trusting him with our salvation and our finances. And John talked about how uh, Gandalf, talking to Bilbo in Lord of the Rings, where, where he says, I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. That God is not trying to rob us, to leave us destitute. He is trying to help us. And the ironic thing is that the tighter we hold on to our finances, or, or the tighter that Bilbo held on to the ring, the tighter the grip that that thing has on us. And so John talked about three areas of our finances. He said, are we spending as if it were Christ spending through us? Are we saving as if it were Christ saving through us? And are we giving as if it were Christ giving through us? And it's that last one that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about giving, about blessing, about caring for one another. Today we get to talk about generosity. This is the fun week, everyone. I hope you're ready for it. Uh, And I hope that each of these three weeks have been helpful for you, but I want you to know that generosity has come up every week. Because I really believe that what Jesus teaches us is that generosity should be a primary part in how we steward our finances. Whether we're talking about stewardship or surrender or worship, that that generosity is actually one of the goals in how Jesus wants us to, to use our finances. Being generous is one of the main things that Jesus teaches us in money. So all of our other topics tie into this week. I came across this uh, quote on Instagram this week. It said, you've been gifted with another day. It's not just for you. You're here to make a difference in someone's life. And I think that that's true with our finances, that today we've been given a dollar, and it's not just for you. It's here to make a difference in someone else's life. See, we're called to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized, the refugee, the homeless. And we don't store up for ourselves treasures on earth, but we, but we use our wealth to bless others. And that's what our text is about today. Our text today is from Luke chapter 21, and it's about Jesus and his followers, and they're in the temple. And Jesus is watching as people bring their gifts forward and put them into the collection. So let's read this together. It's only four verses today. I love short passages. It's easy to exegete. And uh, so let's read this together. Luke 21, verses 1 to 4. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She put in all that she had to live on. Okay, let's dig a little deeper to see how, this ver- how these passages talk about generosity. So verse 1, it says, As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. And so I think it's important to note that Jesus is actually paying attention. Jesus looks at what people are giving. 
And it's weird to think about that, I, to be honest, I don't always like the idea of Jesus watching me as I give, as, that he's watching how much I give. And he's watching how much sacrifice goes into that gift. And he's watching where I give. And he's watching with the heart in which I give. But it's important to know that Jesus cares about what we do with our money. It matters to him. Jesus cares about what we do with our money because it is his money that we have been called to steward. So he watches the rich put their gifts into the treasury. Now, the treasury, I, I, in my research, I, I learned this and I thought it was awesome. It would have had like a chest on the bottom, but above it would have been like this, this kind of horn or trumpet-shaped kind of collection funnel at the top. So when you dropped your money, it would just kind of funnel all the money down into the chest. And it was these trumpet-shaped things, and they were made of metal. And so when you dropped your money in it, it would make some sound. And this is actually why in Matthew 6, Jesus says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. Because the sound made by tossing your gifts into these metal offering trumpet-shaped kind of shofars would have collected the offering and it would have echoed like a trumpet blast. David Garland says, One can imagine the loud, loud clang as the rich pitch in their hefty offerings. That would, have, that would contrast with the faint tinkle made by the widow's two tiny coins. Jesus is critical of the rich giving in such a way to draw attention to themselves, to make themselves look good, to make themselves look righteous. They're giving literally with trumpet blasts, and Jesus calls them hypocrites because the reason why they're giving is actually a selfish one. We see here that Jesus doesn't care about the amount that they give, but with the sacrifice that is involved in the gift and the heart with which it is given. Okay, enter the widow in verse number two. It says, he also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. So um, I read and I, I learned that uh, these two copper coins would have been worth about 1 64th of a denarius, which was a typical day's wage for a laborer. So these two coins would have been equivalent to about eight minutes of work if you were doing a labor-type job. Eight minutes of work. If you do that math, that's like maybe like three, four dollars today. Now the point isn't the actual value of the two copper coins, that it's eight minutes of work or that it's only worth a few bucks. The point is that it's all she had. David Garland says, if this is all she had, she was more than simply poor. She has nothing left and now has beggar's status. But she donated everything. She donated it all. She brought it all to the temple. And then in verse 3, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. Now I think this is interesting because Jesus, technically this isn't true. Because the rich were dropping in much larger sums of money than the widow's two small coins. But Jesus says that she has given more. Because according to God's perspective and according to the kingdom of God, she is actually giving more. The widow's gift, Thomas Schreiner says, was notable because of the extreme sacrifice it entailed, even though the amount of money was negligible. See, something is more important to Jesus than the amount of money we give. That's not number one. Value in the kingdom of God is measured differently. It's not just dollars and cents. There's a lot more to it than that. I remember being in Uganda with my family. We got to go there for about a month and we stayed with, uh, at a place that had a school and a medical clinic and we were there learning about what it means to follow Jesus in a different part of the world. And uh, we were kind of far away from the big cities, so we were in kind of a poor area of the country. 
And uh, we were at church one Sunday, and I remember the preacher saying, some of you here have four or five shirts. I'm sure you know someone that only has one or maybe doesn't have a shirt at all. You need to give them one of your shirts. Why should you have five shirts when someone else only has one? And I was reminded of that story, and I, and I thought, you don't need to have a lot to give. You don't need to have a lot in order to be generous. Someone in Uganda giving away one of their five shirts is more valuable in the kingdom of God than most of us donating 10% of our income. Then in Luke 21.4, our final verse, Jesus explains what he means. And he says, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Okay, I'm going to use a little bit of an analogy here. Sometimes I do this, it works, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, give me a second while I blow up this balloon. Lung capacity of a 45-year-old. Okay, this balloon is here to represent the giving of the rich. This balloon is here to represent the giving of the poor. Now, if I blow up these balloons and I let out just a little bit of air out of this balloon, first thing it does is make a funny noise, <laughs> but the balloon's the same size. It really didn't change. It was completely unnoticeable how much air came out of the balloon. Now, if I let the same amount of air out of this balloon, probably even less, it is now completely empty. Because this balloon was 100% of the air is now gone, whereas this balloon was just a fraction of a percent, or maybe a couple of percentage. But the point is that Jesus says that what the rich give was insignificant because it put no strain on their budgets. It didn't empty them. It didn't make any difference to the size of their bank account. David Garland says after their donation, they're still rich. There isn't any sacrifice. There's no change to their lifestyle. Their gift makes no difference to their bottom line. They keep on living the same way, trusting in their own wealth. They only give to make themselves look good. How backward is that, that even their generosity is selfish? Tom Wright says their religion is a sham and God sees it. See, the rich were so focused on themselves, their bottom line, that they've missed the point of giving because it made no difference. It's a different metric in the kingdom of God where more is not always more and less is not always less. David Garland says, her gift is so meager that it is hardly worth noticing, but Jesus extols it over the more substantial gifts dropped, into the, dropped in by the rich because this woman gave what common sense and instinct for self-preservation would say she should not give. She had next to nothing, and now she has nothing. Okay, now I have to let the air out of the balloon. Sorry, another funny sound. Okay, the big idea, the point of this story is not that you all give your entire paycheck or your entire bank account to North Langley Community Church. That is not the point of this story. But I believe that the big idea is that the metric for giving is different in the kingdom of God. That it's not how much you give, it's how you give. It's not how much you give, it's the heart with which you give. That a generous heart matters more than a substantial amount of money. 
that these two coins that the widow has is worth more than the massive gifts of the rich. And it doesn't make sense, but Jesus is more concerned with the heart than the amount. See, Jesus has all the money in the world. He doesn't need our money, but he calls us to partner and to participate with him. This week, while I was talking with uh, my sermon with John, he told me about a Jeff Bezos story, and I looked it up to see if it was true, and it was. Uh, so I'm sharing it, so thanks, John. Um, so Jeff Bezos, uh, he is the owner of Amazon. Uh, that's the company, not the place, but he probably could afford the place, too, if he wanted. Uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, from what I understand, is the second richest human on the planet. So, like, we're not talking just wealthy, we're talking, like, second richest human on the planet wealthy. And a few years ago, he was at a charity event where they were all giving money towards some charity. I'm not sure what it was. And they, they were announcing the biggest donations. And Jeff Bezos gave the biggest donation. He gave $500,000 to this charity, which is a massive amount of money. But here's the thing. The audience didn't cheer. They actually groaned and some booed because Jeff Bezos makes $8 million an hour. An hour. And so $500,000 for Jeff Bezos is equivalent to about eight minutes of work. Where have we heard that before? $500,000 to Jeff Bezos is nothing. There's no sacrifice to it. It's so insignificant that the crowd results in jeers and boos because it's only worth eight minutes of work to him. See, in the kingdom of God, the dollar amount is inconsequential compared to the cost. And so the question that I think this story, the, the question that it begs is, what does our giving cost us? Does your generosity make a difference to your bottom line and how you live your life? Or are you just tossing in token amounts, a gesture here and there that goes unnoticed on your spreadsheet? That's the point of this story, that the giving, sorry, that the metric for giving is different in the kingdom of God. The generosity should actually be in step with our means and that if we have a lot, a lot will be asked. But I love that if all you have to give, if all you can afford is two small coins, that that has value in the kingdom of God. That that can be worth as much as someone else dropping in $500,000. That God sees that that Jesus notices that and that that matters in the kingdom of God. I love that we follow a God that is more concerned with the heart and the intent of the giver rather than the value of the gift itself. What the widow offered was more valuable than much larger gifts that were given out of selfishness because she sacrificed in order to give. Now, like I said, um, this isn't a, a story about trying to get all of your money here at the church, but it also isn't intended to be a cop-out or an excuse to give little. In fact, I think that this is a story that is intended to stretch us with our giving. And if you need to give a lot before it costs you something, then it's likely God expects that of you. We don't have to give everything away. The widow is never asked or commanded to give away everything that she had. We don't know why she gave everything she had. This is a descriptive story that Jesus sees and uses as a teaching moment. It's not a prescriptive story where he says, okay, now everyone, go give away all your money. But I think what is taught in this parable is that giving should cost us something, that giving should be voluntary, and that your gift, no matter how small, your gift matters to God, that he sees it and he honors it. 
Uh, Wes preached a sermon here a few months ago about a little bit of yeast and flour, and he titled it, Small is Mighty. And I think that that's true today as well, that small is mighty. And if it is a sacrifice for you to give a small gift to the kingdom of God, that is a mighty gift. The amount you give is irrelevant. The heart with which you give matters far more. David Garland says, The implication is that God welcomes giving that comes out of deep sacrifice, not gifts that are simply leftovers of abundance. That explains why tithing is not a New Testament concept, because it allows one to ignore how much one keeps. So this brings us to our next point. We're going to talk about tithing now. Does anyone like talking about tithing? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Um, Tithing, just so you know, uh, the word tithe refers to a tenth. And for a lot of history, Christians uh, have practiced tithing by giving 10% of their income to God. It's a practice that goes back to ancient Israel. But it's actually different than what I thought. When I uh, read this, I was like amazed. I was like, mind blown. Um, But this is um, what Cortines and Balmer say uh, about tithing in the Old Testament. It says, most Israelites donated approximately 23% of their income every year, not 10% as commonly taught in churches today. Okay, so here's where it goes. So there was a 10% Levitical tithe, which is the tithe that we think about, that went to the temple, went towards having services, went towards the Levites, uh, like paychecks, those types of things. And that's what we think about when we tithe. But there was also a 10% festival tithe, And this was a tithe where you're supposed to save up 10% of your income and have giant parties with it, where you were supposed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or you're supposed to have your whole community over as a celebration of what God has done. And so 10% of your income was actually supposed to be going to partying. Okay? So if you remember one thing from today's sermon, 10% of your income should go to partying. Okay, um, and then uh, there, the last one was there was also a 10% charity tithe, which was given two out of every seven years uh, to go towards charity and the poor and the, the, um, the people that needed it in the community. And so all of that added up to about 22.9% of your income. I love that God doesn't want to steal our money and steal our joy and our fun. That actually built into the Old Testament tithe was celebration and fun and partying. I think that's amazing. I love this quote from the same guys in their book. It's called God and Money. It says, Our ambition is to strive for a level of generosity far exceeding the Old Testament tithe. And what they talk about is that Jesus never lowered the bar. I want you to think of the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus talks about uh, thou shall not murder, he goes on to say that we shouldn't even be angry with people. If we have contempt for them in our heart, it's as bad as murder. Or when he talks about adultery, he says you've committed adultery even if you look at someone lustfully. And so Jesus is always raising the bar. So I don't think we should be looking for what is the lowest amount that we can give. Because I think for a lot of us, if we were to kind of uh, have our our little checklist out and we were like, have I been generous? Have I given 10% of my income? Check that we might actually be giving far too little. We'd probably be giving too little. And I think there's a reason that Jesus doesn't command tithing in the New Testament. Because I don't think he wants to limit our generosity. He doesn't want to put a cap on how much we give to the church or the poor or the oppressed or the refugee or the orphan or the widow or the homeless. 
Probably the best section in the New Testament uh, outlining, outlining giving is from Paul in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I don't have time to read those full chapters today. But uh, basically, they're about that giving should be, Paul says giving should be voluntary, generous, cheerful, support the church, and support the poor. And here's what Cortines and Balmer say about Paul's teaching in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. They say, these traits of our giving voluntary, generous, even sacrificial, cheerful and supportive of local ministers and the poor all reflect God himself in his generous giving. Rather than follow strict laws, the mode of giving should be outlined, the mode of giving outlined in the New Testament actually frees Christians to generously serve others out of thankfulness to God for his provision. So what would it look like for us to be a generous community? for us to be generous people, for us to be generous individuals. I know that this can feel quite rule-based or legalistic, especially if you kind of go with the, the standard of being like, start and aim with 10%. But I think, think about other things that we do as part of our rhythms of following Jesus. There's coming to church, reading your Bible, prayer, communion. These are all things that can become legalistic if we do them in order to earn God's favor. But as disciples and apprentices of Jesus, we actually get to practice these rhythms that set our hearts free, that draw us closer to God. Tithing is one of those practices that will allow us and kind of start us on the path of generosity. Tithing provides a rhythm of generosity that frees up our hearts. So we give to the work of God, to the local church, to missions, to poor, to church planting, to evangelism. Randy Alcorn says, uh, he says, if your workplace had to have budget cutbacks and they said to you, we need to reduce your income by 10%, would you die? Would you die? Okay, probably not die. Would it be hard? Yeah, that would be hard. But how fun would it be to have 10% of your income to have as play money, to give away, to support things. And so he says, try living on 90% of your income and you will instantly have 10% left of that play money, of that blessing money, of that money set aside to be generous, to be able to give away parts of it to the church or places and people and organizations that you believe in and trust and want to see flourish doing kingdom of God work. Remember back to the first sermon and what I mentioned earlier is that, that it is so fun to give away other people's money. And so if we looked at even 10% of our income as belonging to God and that we want to be generous with that in giving back, how much fun could we have? And with the verse that we read uh, about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If we increase our giving to those in need, if we increase our giving to the church or Christian organizations or places that, that are feeding the poor and the homeless, our hearts will grow into that. But if tithing isn't necessarily a New Testament teaching, how much should we give? Should it be that 10%? C.S. Lewis, and this was in our first sermon as well, has this quote. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I am afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we, pro we are probably giving away too little. If our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. 
there ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. So I want you to know today that your metric for giving is unique to you and Jesus. It is unique to you and Jesus. Now, I believe that giving to your home church is important. It's how we're able to employ staff, run these services, do our programs like kids ministry, local outreach. We help people in need. We accomplish our mission, vision, and values because people give here. So giving to the church is great, but I do want you to hear me. Like I said, we are not talking about this this series to try and get you to give a whole bunch more money to the church. So I want to ask you, where are other places that you can give as well? I want you to, if you're in a life group or if you ever talk about the sermon with your family or friends throughout the week, I want you to talk about some of your favorite places to give outside the church. What are some of the best places that you know to give? For me, I mentioned that I was in Uganda several years ago. There's a ministry there called Kawasha, and they do a lot with education and medical care, and we sponsor a a beautiful young little girl there named Mercy, and I've seen firsthand the work that they do there. And so, Christine and I, we love giving towards Kawasha. People give towards specific missionaries. I'm a huge fan of youth ministry. I spent a lot of my life as a youth pastor. So I love giving to Youth Unlimited and Young Life and YWAM and service and organizations that serve our young people. Here in Langley, there's Gateway of Hope that is loving the homeless through the work of the Salvation Army. In our conference, we have the Mennonite Central Committee that helps with relief initiatives all over the world. There's MDS, which is the Mennonite Disaster Service, which goes into places where there have been natural or or man-made disasters, and they help people there. There's Wellspring that, that our church partners with that's doing education in Rwanda. Or more locally, I love it when people are in need and and on our Facebook group, people post meal trains and people sign up to bring meals to people in need with meal trains. I love that. I think that's one of the most beautiful things about our church. I used to do um, uh, the World Vision 30-hour famine uh, with youth and I love that it was like a youth group thing helping people that needed it and that uh, it was also an all-nighter um, Which was a lot of fun when you're in youth group and I used to tell students I said be shameless in collecting money for the 30-hour famine like some of you were in my youth group And you heard me say be shameless. I was like if you if you're asking your uncle for a donation for not eating for 30 hours um, And you he opens up his wallet to give you a 20 and you see a 50 be like why aren't you giving 50? We made so much money at those 30-hour famines. They were the best. But I believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to help those in need, to bless the fatherless, the widow, the outcast, the refugee, and the sinner. Ron McKenzie says, the best way to transfer wealth to heaven is to give it to the poor. I'll invite the worship team up now as I, as I close, but I want to ask you this question. What type of giving excites you? I really hope that to conclude this series, you go away thinking, how can I have fun with this? What excites me? Like, if someone were to back up a dump truck of money and drop it in your driveway today, and it was like, give all of this away, where would you give that money? Where would you start? And if you don't have a dump truck of money to give away, start with two small coins. If that's all you have to give, Jesus sees that, He will honor that, and that has immeasurable value in the kingdom of God. So start with your two small coins, because the giving metric in the kingdom of God is not what we expect. The amount matters very little. The intent and the sacrifice matter far more. 
Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when we give, our hearts follow. When we give, somehow it, it sets our hearts free from greed. So let me ask it this way. Are we living beneath our means in order to be generous? Or are we swimming in debt that we can't give? I would love for all of us to catch the joy of giving. Giving generously because God has given so much to us. Giving because we recognize it was never ours to begin with. There's a joy there. And we've discussed this principle more in previous weeks, but when we give, it loosens the chains that finances have in our lives. It combats a scarcity mindset that we think we'll never have enough. It combats a desire to hoard and to always think, I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. Always looking to making more money to solve all your problems. This is intended to bless both the recipient and the giver. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And I believe that God wants to bless you, to free you, to break the chains that might be holding on to your heart, that he wants to make you a blessing to those around you and have you partner with him in advancing kingdom of God values and kingdom of God principles in our world today. He invites us to partner with him to change our community, to change our family, to change our friend group, and to change our world. I want to close with this verse from 2 Corinthians, which says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We have an awesome prayer team here at Aldergrove, and if any of this freaks you out, it's allowed to freak you out. If any of this excites you, it's allowed to excite you. And I would encourage you to utilize our prayer team. They'll be in the front row here and over here, as well as in the prayer room in the back. And if you're struggling with finances, I encourage you to ask for prayer. Maybe it's debt or taxes or something that's just holding on to you. Or maybe the idea of giving away your money just seems so impossible, like you could never do that. And you just need to be encouraged that your two small coins that are so insignificant actually do matter. Come receive prayer. If you're feeling led to be generous, but you're struggling to know where to start, come for prayer. If you're worried that being generous is going to mean leaving you destitute, that you will have nothing left, and you need to be reminded that your two coins matter. Come and be prayed for. Or if you know someone who's struggling with debt, you can pray for them. Also, recognize that a lot of us come to church here with, with things going on in our lives that, that maybe have nothing to do with finances, but that we could use prayer. Our prayer team is here to pray for you today. So don't leave without taking advantage of that if you could benefit from prayer today. So I invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing a couple of songs to close. Like I said, our prayer team will be in these two front rows as well as in the prayer room. And I just want to close with this short prayer. Lord, give us generous hearts to grow your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.